0: Hello and welcome to Voices from the Battlefield, part of Waterloo Remembered. In this extract, the historian Robin Thomas reads from the recollections of James Anton. Well, my name is Robin Thomas and I've chosen to read an extract on the Battle of Cattrebra by James Anton of the 42nd Royal Highlanders. This is from his memoir, entitled Retrospect of a Military Life During the Most Eventful Periods of the Last War, published in Edinburgh in 1841. Anton had joined the militia in 1803 and then transferred to the 42nd Highlanders and joined the regiment in the peninsula in September 1813. So he takes part in the battles in the Pyrenees and the south of France before proceeding to Belgium in 1815. The regiment is quartered in Brussels just before marching to Cattabra and this is where the account starts. On the morning of the 16th of June, before the sun rose over the dark forest of Soanya, our brigade, consisting of the 1st, 44th and 92nd regiments, stood in column, Sir Dennis Pack at its head, waiting impatiently for the 42nd the commanding officer of which was chidden severely by Sir Dennis for being so dilatory. We took our place in the column and the whole marched off to the strains of martial music and amidst the shouts of the surrounding multitude. We passed through the ancient gate of the city and hundreds left it in health and high spirits who before night was, were lifeless corpses on the field to which they were hastening. As we entered the forest of Swanya. Our stream of ranks following ranks in successive sections moved on in silent but speedy course like some river confined between two equal banks. The forest is of immense extent and we continued to move on under its welcome shade until we came to a small hamlet or auberge, embosomed in the wood to the right of the road. Here we turned to our left, halted, and were in the act of lighting fires on purpose to set about cooking. We were flattering ourselves that we were to rest there until next day, for whatever reports had reached the ears of our commanders, no alarm had yet rung on ours. Some were stretched under the shade to rest, others sat in groups draining the cup, and we always loved a large one, and it was now almost emptied of three days' allowance of spirits, a greater quantity than was usually served out at once to us on a campaign. Others were busily occupied in bringing water and preparing the camp kettles, for we were of the opinion, as I have already said, that we were to halt there for the day. But hark, a gun, one exclaims. Every ear is set to catch the sound, and every mouth seems half-opened, as if to supersede the faithless ear that doubts of its hearing. Again another, and another feebly floats through the forest. Every ear now catches the sound. And every man grabs his musket no pensive looks are seen our generals weather-beaten war-worn countenances are all well known to the old soldiers and no throb of fear palpitates in a single breast all are again ready in column and again we tread the wood-lined road the distant report of the guns becomes more loud and our march is urged on with greater speed we pass through waterloo and leave behind the bright fields of Wellington's fame, our army's future glory and England's pride. Catrebra appears in view. The frightened peasantry come running breathless and panting along the way. We move off to the left of the road, behind a gently rising eminence, form column of companies, regardless of the growing crop, and ascend the rising ground. A beautiful plain appears in view, surrounded with belts of wood and the main road from Brussels runs through it. We now descended to the plain by an echelon movement towards our right, halted on the road from which we had lately diverged to the left, formed in line, fronting a bank on the right side, whilst the other regiments took up their positions to right and left, as directed by our general. A luxuriant crop of grain hid from our view the contending skirmishers beyond, and presented a considerable obstacle to our advance. We were in the act of lying down by the side of the road in our usual careless manner, as we were wont when enjoying a rest on the line of march, some throwing back their heads on their knapsacks intending to take a sleep, when General Pack came galloping up and chid the Colonel for not having the bayonets fixed. This roused our attention and the bayonets were instantly on the pieces. There is something animating to a soldier in the clash of the fixing bayonet, more particularly so when it is thought that the scabbard is not to receive it until it drinks the blood of its foe. Call me not bloodthirsty for expressing myself in this unfeeling manner. It is harsh, but it is just. I must not allow my own feelings to betray me into a display of those sympathies which I have not seen existing. Our pieces were loaded, and perhaps never did a regiment in the field seem so short-taken. We had the name of a crack corps, but certainly it was not then in that state of discipline which it could justly boast of a few years afterwards. Yet notwithstanding this disadvantage, none could be animated with a fitter feeling for the work before us than prevailed at that moment. One half of us had never been on a campaign before. Therefore, when an old soldier began to tell and he was often telling, of what he had seen and suffered, he engrossed all the attention and talk, with the exception of a few remarks that puffed up his pride more and more to enlarge. And our young hands, thus kept in a less assuming position than that to which they laughably aspired, were anxious to be led to face the enemy. We had others burning with rage, resentment, and all the evil passions that mingle with our nature, and who could find no fit object around on which they could pour out the vials of their wrath, still smarting under the effects of punishment for a crime which they could not allow themselves to think of great importance or disgraceful, and the less so as so many had participated in it. These were the men who had been recently convicted of making away with the blankets. We were all ready and in line. Forward was the word of command, and forward we hastened, though we saw no enemy in front. The stalks of the rye, like the reeds that grow on the margin of some swamp, opposed our advance. The tops were up to our bonnets, and we strode and groped our way through as fast as we could. By the time we reached a field of clover on the other side, we were very much straggled. However, we united in line as fast as time and our speedy advance would permit. The Belgic skirmishers retired through our ranks, And in an instant we were on their victorious pursuers our sudden appearance seemed to paralyze their advance the single appearance of our dress combined no doubt with our sudden debut tended to stagger their resolution we were on them our pieces were loaded and our bayonets glittered impatient to drink their blood those who had so proudly driven the belgians before them turned now to fly whilst our loud cheers made the fields echo to our wild hurrahs. France fled or fell before us, and we thought the field our own. We had not yet lost a man, for the victors seldom lose many, except in protracted, hard-contested struggles. With one's face to the enemy, he may shun the deadly thrust or stroke. It is the retreating soldier that destruction pursues. We drove on so fast that we almost appeared like a mob following the rout of some defeated faction. Marshal Ney, who commanded the enemy, observed our wild unguarded zeal and ordered a regiment of lancers to bear down upon us. We saw their approach at a distance, as they issued from a wood, and took them for Brunswickers coming to cut up the flying infantry. And as cavalry on all occasions have the advantage of retreating foot on a fair field, we were halted in order to let them take their way. They were approaching our right flank, from which our skirmishers were extended, and we were far from being in a formation fit to repel an attack, if intended, or to afford regular support to our friends, if requiring our aid. I think we stood with too much confidence, gazing towards them as if they had been our friends, anticipating the gallant charge they would make on the flying foe and we were making no preparative movement to receive them as enemies, further than the reloading of the muskets, until a German orderly dragoon galloped up, exclaiming, Franchi, Franchi, and wheeling about galloped off. We instantly formed a rallying square. No time for particularity, every man's piece was loaded, and our enemies approached at full charge. The feet of their horses seemed to tear up the ground. Our skirmishers, having been impressed with the same opinion that these were Brunswick cavalry, fell beneath their lances and few escaped death or wounds. Our brave colonel fell this time, pierced through the chin until the point of the lance reached the brain. Captain, now Major Menzies, fell, covered with wounds, and a momentary conflict took place over him. He was a powerful man and hand to hand, more than a match for six ordinary men. The grenadiers, whom he commanded, pressed round to save or avenge him, but fell beneath the enemy's lances. Of all descriptions of cavalry, certainly the lancers seemed the most formidable to infantry, as the lance can be projected with considerable precision and with deadly effect, without bringing the horse to the point of the bayonet. And it was only by the rapid and well-directed fire of musketry that these formidable assailants were repulsed. Colonel Dick assumed the command on the fall of Robert Macara, and was severely wounded. Brevet Major Davidson succeeded and was mortally wounded. To him succeeded Brevet Major Campbell, now Lieutenant Colonel on the unattached list. Thus, in a few minutes we had been placed under four different commanding officers. An attempt was now made to form us in line, for we were stood mixed in one irregular mass grenadier light and battalion companies a noisy group such as the inevitable consequence of a rapid succession of commanders our covering sergeants were called out on purpose that each company might form on the right of its sergeant an excellent plan had it been adopted but a cry rose that another charge of cavalry was approaching and this plan was abandoned we now formed a line on the left of the grenadiers while the cavalry that had been announced were cutting through the ranks of the 69th regiment. Meantime, the other regiments, to our right and left, suffered no less than we. The superiority of the enemy in cavalry afforded him a decided advantage on the open plain, for our British cavalry and artillery had not yet reached the field. We were at this time about two furlongs past the farm of Catrebra, as I suppose, and a line of French infantry, was about the same distance from us in front and we had commenced firing at that line when we were ordered to form square to oppose cavalry. General Pack was at our head and Major Campbell commanded the regiment. We formed square in an instant. In the centre were several wounded French soldiers witnessing our formation round them. They doubtless considered themselves devoted to certain death among us seeming barbarians but they had no occasion to speak ill of us afterwards as they were already incapable of injuring us we moved about them regardful of their wounds and suffering our last file had got into square and into its proper place so far unequalized companies could form a square when the cuirassiers dashed full on two of its faces their heavy horses and steel armor seemed sufficient to bury us under them had they been pushed forward on our bayonets a moment's pause ensued it was the pause of death general pack was on the right angle of the front face of the square and he lifted his hat towards the french officer as he was wont to do when returning a salute i suppose our assailants construed our forbearance as an indication of surrendering a false idea not a blow had been struck nor a musket leveled but when the general raised his hat it served as a signal though not a preconcerted one but entirely accidental for we were doubtful whether our commanding officer was protracting the order, waiting for the general's command as he was present. Be this as it may, a most destructive fire was opened. Riders, cased in heavy armour, fell tumbling from their horses. The horses reared, plunged, and fell on the dismounted riders. Steel helmets and cuirasses rung against unsheathed sabres as they fell to the ground. Shrieks and groans of men... The neighing of horses and the discharge of musketry rent the air, as men and horses mixed together in one heap of indiscriminate slaughter. Those who were able to fly fled towards a wood on our right, whence they had issued to the attack, and which seemed to afford an extensive cover to an immense reserve not yet brought into action. Once more clear of these formidable and daring assailants, we formed a line, examined our ammunition boxes and found them empty. Our officer commanding pointed towards the pouches of our dead and dying comrades and from them a sufficient supply was obtained. We lay down behind the gentle rise of a trodden down field of grain and enjoyed a few minutes rest to our wearied limbs but not in safety from the flying messengers of death the whistling music of which was far from lulling us to sleep. Afternoon was now fast spent, and we were resting in line without having equalized the companies for this would have been extremely dangerous in so exposed a position for the field afforded no cover, and we were in advance of the other regiments. The enemy were at no great distance, and I may add firing very actively upon us. We had wasted a deal of ammunition this day, and surely to very little effect, otherwise every one of our adversaries must have bled before this time. Our commanding officer cautioned us against this useless expenditure and we became a little more economical. Our position being, as I've already observed, without any cover from the fire of the enemy, we were commanded to retire to the rear of the farm, where we took up our bivouac on the field for the night. That was the historian Robin Thomas, reading from the recollections of James Anton. And you can follow Robin on Twitter at RobinThomas1000. Stay tuned to The Napoleon Assist, where more instalments of the Voices from the Battlefield series will be released throughout the day.